And welcome back to Bar Down Breakdown. I'm your host, Mikey Ryan, live from the Hive, joined by my boy, Tommy V, from the land of Disney. Tommy, what is good? What's going on, everyone? Happy, happy June. Uh, good stuff, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really pumped to uh, be chatting with you again. You know, I had a, just a quick question. Um, what... I know you used to introduce yourself as Mikey CLT and then you jumped to Mikey Ryan. Did you just, you just want everyone to like know all your personal business? Is that what's up? (laughs) Dude, who knows what's going through my brain? Like, I wish I put more thought (laughs) into that than I do, but I don't know. My brain works at different paces and it's crazy. Yeah, man. I mean, I, you know, I think that's something that we, we all, (laughs) we all get for sure. Um, but, uh, no, I just noticed that, you know, like, I'm just like, oh, you know, sometimes we get Mikey CLT, sometimes we get Mike Ryan, you know, who knows? You get you what know, you get. You get, you get what you get and you don't get upset. We got coming up with Darren from Goldfinger, which still kind of blows my mind that we get to, to talk to, you know, someone that was in Goldfinger who are a really important, I guess, originally ska band, now punk band, but very, very important in, uh, you know, been a band for almost 30 years. So uh we're gonna have an awesome conversation with darren but uh yikes uh we're saying goodbye to the nassau coliseum it's crazy stuff man um you know what are your thoughts on that mike so my my thoughts are that i think the islanders and the nhl might know more than what we know and like we shouldn't be too much in a panic and what i'm trying to say is that maybe no NHL teams play with fans in the 2020-2021 season because Mm. I I really don't think the Islanders are going to go back to Brooklyn. Like, they already had the banner, like, hanging up in Brooklyn that said, like, thanks, Brooklyn. And, like, I I think that those ties have been severed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there really is no other home. Um. You know, how crazy would it be if if they do play with fans and the Islanders play in the Garden for a season? Yikes, right? That's Wouldn't that be crazy? Yeah, like, I, I, I wouldn't be totally, totally shocked by that because I do think Dolan is a partial investor in the Belmont project. Okay. So there, there is that connection. Um... I I don't know if the the Ranger fan base would be accepting of that because I I God forbid if like the Rangers had to do that and play at like the Coliseum for a year, Islander fans would be up in arms. But oh, for sure, yeah. You know, I I really can't see an investor coming in and buying the Coliseum and to keep it a Coliseum. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, and and you know, let's not lie to ourselves. I mean, you know, us both being from Long Island, I mean, it's a really rough area over there. To be honest, it's just not. Um, it's not the best area for a sports complex. Um, it, it just, you know, there are, are all those colleges nearby, but they, you know, the the complex itself doesn't really do anything that would be beneficial for colleges. And you know, I mean, obviously, you got a community college right there, which doesn't even have you know, on-campus housing. Um, and obviously, like I said, the, the, the area is just a little on the rundown. It needs a lot of work and stuff like that. So, I mean, I can't really imagine 
someone's going to run in there, you know, buy it up and, and exactly and keep it the Coliseum. But um, I mean, wh- what about what about Bridgeport? I mean, you know, I, I know that arena is small, but like, do you think they'd play there? I, I think if it comes down to once again, if if fans are going to be allowed or if they're like even going to have like a, a cutoff of the capacity. Sure. Um, that is a possibility. Um, I've, I've also, you know, it, it's all rumors at this point, but some people are saying that, yeah. you know, the, the sound tigers contract is up after this season. So maybe the sound okay. tigers would want to come in and, and buy the Coliseum, but. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I could not, just, that would be, I could see it being leveled and become like luxury apartments or, yep, you know, yep. Hofstra come in and, and buy it to build more dormitories. That could be. I, I just for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever happens. Yeah. I mean, whatever happens, it's kind of going to be a, you know, I mean, it's going to be sad to see it, you know, to see it go. And if it's leveled, I mean, you know, that's going to be even more devastating. But so on that note, I mean, you know, obviously you and I have, you know, spent a lot of our time in that Coliseum. Um, you know, for me, you know, I, I have some incredible memories. I'm sure you do. Um, and I mean, all of my memories, you know, aren't necessarily all hockey. You know, I uh, got an opportunity to see Bob Dylan at the Coliseum, which was, uh, you know, an incredible experience. I, uh, you know, my first uh, live, you know, because I'm a huge wrestling fan, the first live Monday Night Raw that I got to see was at the Coliseum. Um, you know, so I have a lot of fond memories of the Coliseum, of course, you know, with all of the tailgates we did. Uh, but I figure we could both, you know, share a story, uh, you know, just kind of talking about our experiences in the Coliseum and what we love about it. Um, so I'll I'll jump off and I'll go first. Uh, for me, one of my most fond Coliseum memories uh, was the draft party that the Islanders held the uh, the year that they drafted John Tavares. Now, obviously, in, in hindsight, we look back at that, you know, as, uh, you know, Johnny's gone and, uh, you know. Uh, the circumstances surrounding him him leaving were a little uh, contentious, of course. But you know, at that time, uh, honestly and truly, going to be the thing that you know turned the franchise around. And I'll, I'll never forget. I mean, you know, I, I was tipsy at I had had a couple, so uh, you know, I was a wild kid and wild child. But I mean, there were people I remember that were shedding tears and and you know and embracing their fellow Islander fans and and you know showing real emotion thinking that, you know, this could be the shot that our team is going to get to, you know, come back into prominence. And I'll never forget that. And, you know, getting to be down on the, actually on the ice level, and they had all this memorabilia set up and they brought the banners down so you could, you know, see them up close. It was a really, really cool experience. And I mean, you know, the Coliseum has kind of always been a dump, you know, I'm sure there's been asbestos falling from the ceiling and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff in in that place that was probably going to end up taking years off our life. but I mean, you know, you you just can't beat those experiences. I think that was one of my uh, my favorite experiences. Yeah. So I I was also at that draft party, and um, I the fact that there was like probably ten thousand people there is just mind boggling, isn't it? Wasn't it crazy, right? Yeah. And and then also, I don't know if you remember, but as we were walking in, because we were you know tailgating and we were trying to get as many. adult beverages in before we went into the building. But as we're walking in, there's like 10 minutes left before the Islanders make their pick. The darkest cloud just came over the Coliseum. I don't know if you remember that, (laughs) but it was like, man, the Islanders are definitely going to pick like 
Duchesne. They're not going to yeah. pick Tavares. Like, they're going to just take someone so irrelevant and it's going to set this franchise back again. And, you know, obviously they did the right thing, but in typical Islander fashion, we, we were all like, you know, just, you know, pessimistic Islander fans that were like, they're going to mess this up. Look at this dark cloud. It's a sign. <laughs> but yep. that, that was a good time. <laughs> um, not my favorite time, but it, it was still cool to see how many Islander fans were there to just, you know, watch a name get called. Yeah. Um, my, my favorite memory has to be like all those home opener groups that we would set oh, up. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I, I know I do it now with Isles meetups, but you know, it, it really did start, start back on long Island. And, you know, I would always organize a group of like 75 of our friends and, mm-hmm. you know, friends of friends and family members and even some of our former teachers from high school came a few years and uh i just remember this one year it it was definitely uh, a rager it was a beautiful day and we were out in the parking lot for like 10 hours before we went in and uh Mm -hmm. you you were very bloody mary drunk and (laughs) i would say (laughs) you, you lasted about 10 minutes into the first period and if that yep. all of us are looking around like yo i think we lost tom and <laughs> when you didn't come back the rest of the game we we all did get very concerned like yep we lost tom and then all we <laughs> all of us walk outside and there you are laying under a jeep wrangler with your pants completely <laughs> ripped open just being so loud and ridiculous drinking beer still and it's like now 10 o'clock at night and you are just out of control and we we find out that (laughs) you went to sit down and typical coliseum fashion the seats are broken and totally rip your pants from seam to seam and it was just the funniest scene to walk out of the coliseum to see you like that down the left, down the left side of my of my jeans. I'll never forget that man. I went to go sit in in uh, in one of the chairs, and it just totally ripped ripped me open. And I was already at that point. I was hammered. I think I made it maybe seven or eight minutes into the first period. And like I got up, and I, I my, it was probably my intention to like go take a piss or something. And in my drunken stupor, I just like probably saw the door and was like, maybe I'll go outside for a little bit. And then I, I go outside. I find a Jeep Wrangler that has you know, a cooler stash in it with leftover beers. And I'm like, I'll just have another beer. And then before I know it, I'm under this Jeep Wrangler taking a nap. It's just, uh, you know, <laughs> just very, very, very indicative of my twenties. But, uh, yeah, no, those, those tailgates were, were awesome memories, man. Um, and, and I mean, you know, I still to this day, um, I mean, I'll, I'll claim it, but one of those tailgates, um, I truly believe that I started, uh, the Islanders, Yes, movement. I, I really believe that I was part of that because, you know, it was a wrestling thing. You know, it was, you know, Daniel Bryan was doing yes all the time. This is probably back in like 2012 or I don't know when it was. And, you know, I'm at a tailgate being hammered, doing the yes chant. Some other wrestling fans, you know, start joining in with me doing this yes chant. Before we know it at the game, there's, you know, if the Coliseum's packed, there's maybe 10% of the people in there doing this yes chant. And then all of a sudden, you know, like as the season progresses, now it's like an Islanders thing, and I'm like, well, where, you know, where's where's my 
you know, where, where's my, where's my cut of this? Like, this is me. I did. And nobody believes me. Everyone's like, nah, it's, it's, that's bullshit. And I'm like, dude, it was me. I know it was me. We'll get, we'll get that carved. I'll leave that. Your, we'll get that carved on your tombstone. You better, you better not only carve it on my tombstone, you better put it on that card that they give to people at the funerals. You better put it in the paper. <laughs> better, better be everywhere. But, uh, but you know, God bless the Coliseum, all the great times we had there. And, you know, as the news comes, we'll, we'll see what becomes of it. But I, I think, I think the hockey gods were like, Islander fans, you're getting too comfortable with your new arena being built. Like, here's one more curveball to just yep. make you suffer one more time. Absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. You know, the hockey gods have have always given us a, a run for our money being Islander fans. But what's another? What's another? You know, spoke in the wheel. But on that note, uh, we'll transition into uh, our interview with Darren from Goldfinger again. I mentioned it earlier, but it is just wild, um, you know, that we get to act with, with some of these bands and Goldfinger being, like I said, a band that's been around for almost 30 years. I mean, they're one of the, you know, the pioneers of playing, you know, some, some of the first warp tours. Um, you know, obviously my introduction to Goldfinger uh, was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, uh, you know, and obviously, um, you know, now that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater is being, you know, kind of revamped and repackaged on these newer uh, you know, gaming systems, it's going to be awesome to get back and play that and, you know, get to, you know, Superman, which is, you know, one of Goldfinger's, you know, epics. And obviously they redid 99 Red Balloons. But, you know, I don't have to tell you all this about Goldfinger because, you know, you probably know about them. But if you don't, definitely go give them a listen. And I guarantee you, as soon as you hear that opening drum part for Superman, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So without further ado, um, we'll get right into our interview with Darren from Goldfinger. And we hope you enjoy. Dangerous Darren Show and Goldfinger. Darren, how are you doing today? Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, man. It's really such an honor. And, uh, you know, with the news breaking that it looks like hockey might actually happen and we might finish the season out, um, I, I think it's kind of relevant to talk about your two teams because both of your <laughs> teams... <laughs> 
are not in the playoffs. And even when we expanded to 24 teams, it, it looks like you guys are still on the outside looking in. Yep, yep. And now uh, all the videos are being posted on the Sabres Instagram with Pozo and, and Batro and, and other guys saying, oh, we had a good season. If we only would have beat Colorado or if we only would have beat the Devils or if we only would have won that one game here or there, should have, could have, would have. You know what I mean? Like, you got a great team. You got a, you some great personnel there. I don't know why they can't just get over the hump. They got one of the greatest players right now in the world with Jack Eichel. And Skinner's not too bad either. And they got, they got some pieces there. And I just don't know why they can't get over the hump. It, it's, it's depressing. So, yeah, there's like six teams not making the playoffs. Two of them are, are mine, the Kings and the Sabres. And, and Russ Rankin is uh, another big hockey fan as well. And he, he's a devil, diehard devil guy. So he's in misery right now, too. We've been texting back and forth. He's like, all these fucking teams make the playoffs, and, and our teams don't get in. I'm like, hey, it is, it is what it is. There's an old saying, sometimes you lean on the bar, and sometimes the bar leans on you. So you take the good, you take the bad. It's funny you bring up Russ because he actually brought you up in the interview we had with him because he said you guys are over in Germany or somewhere over in Europe when the Devils were in like either the Eastern Conference Finals or maybe even the Stanley Cup Finals. It was the Stanley Cup. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah and he said that you were the one that broke the news to him that they that they won. Yeah, I remember watching it or listening to it somewhere, like on the bus, I had a feed, and I, I knew he was a fan. And, I, and I, he says I walked up to him and then said, hey, you're a Devils fan, right? And he, and he, yeah, I was like, they just won the cup. And then I turned and walked away. <laughs> I don't remember turning and walking away, but if he says I did, I did. So, no, that's great. That's so great. What What's also crazy, though, uh, you know, about the uh, the playoff format that's going on is it's the first time since 1995 that a California team is not in the playoffs. Oh wow! Right, Sharks are out too, and the Ducks. Yeah, and and you don't really like associate necessarily like California with hockey, but you know they they the state of California's got a long run, and and now with this abbreviated season or whatever you want to call it, they kind of are making history by not making the playoffs. Well, the the, the Kings were on an eight game winning streak when this uh, pandemic struck, and they had to stop the season, so. I'm not saying they would have they would have continued to win at that pace, but they were making strides in the right direction, and they were getting a lot of contributions from some of the younger kids, and, and some of the vets were starting to heat up. Like Dowdy was scoring a little bit more, um, uh, you know, the, uh, Carter was actually starting to score more. Kopitar was starting to score more. Uh, the Sabers were just win win two, lose four, uh, you know, lose in overtime, get a point, lose two, then win three. And then win four, and then be like, oh, Sabres are finally found their rhythm, and then they'd lose five in a row. It was just like, I just can't, I just, I don't know, it's just so frustrating. Um, but like I said, when we chatted before we, you know, came back up on this uh, break, I, um, I hedged my bets back in, in 93 or whatever it was, becoming a fan of, of, of the Los Angeles Kings, and, and then finally moving to Los Angeles, and and uh, starting a, a, a life there and starting a career there and being able to watch Gretzky play at the forum. Uh, so I was, I even worked for the Kings for four years as a, as a songwriter in, in the game presentation department. So, so my roots with the Kings 
are, are just as, if not deeper than the Sabres, but you can't, I can't diss the Sabres. So I would say it's 51% Sabres, 49% to the Kings. It's, it's close. Yeah. You know, I find it tough when, because you're not the first one that we've talked to where some, some of our guests have two teams that they, they truly love both of them. And for me, I'm like a diehard New York Islanders fan, even though I live in Charlotte, North Carolina now. And I just never can see myself ever rooting for the Carolina Hurricanes. And I, I don't know if it's because we just got swept by them and there's so much bad blood. And I was actually there when we lost game four and the fans were so brutal to us that I, I just don't ever see me even like, <laughs> you know, even if the Islanders are out of it rooting for them kind of deal. And I guess it's it's a little different because both of the teams are in the East and you're rooting for a team, you know, in the Eastern Conference and then also a team in the Western Conference. But right. Yeah, you know, I. I I guess I just have a, a little bit of a different mindset with that. Well, I hear you. I moved to Toronto, Canada for 10 years. Uh, became a Canadian citizen, started a record label there. It was on, on air and in Toronto at a number of radio stations. I had, had, a, had a good life in Canada for 10 years. And all my friends in Canada, even to this day, were like, you know, why didn't you ever become a Toronto Maple Leafs fan? Like, I said, I rooted for the Leafs. I wanted them to do well for my friends, for the city. I mean, they're a storied franchise, but I can't really put my heart and soul into the Toronto Maple Leafs because they're such close rivals to the Buffalo Sabres geographically, and they're also in the Eastern Conference. So if it was ever Sabres and Leafs Conference Final, which it was in 99, I'd have to root for the Sabres. So being in Los Angeles, Western Conference, thousands of miles away from Buffalo, it's, it just made all the sense in the world to root for the Kings. And I get a lot of grief from most of my friends in Canada saying you can't actually have two teams. You can't like two teams. You like one and that's it. I'm like, well, sure, you can think any you can think that way if you want, but I don't. I love both teams. I want them both to win the Stanley Cup. And then they say, What if it's the Kings and the Sabres in the Stanley Cup final? I said, Well, if that day ever happened, <laughs> I'll probably I mean, I'll probably be eighty for one. Uh, and, and number two, I'm going to have to root for the I'm going to have to root for the Sabers, and and because the Kings already had the two cups in the bag at this point, uh, if the Sabers don't have a cup, it's all about the Sabers. And they said, "Well, if the Kings win, will you hate the Kings?" I'm like, "No, I won't. Like, I just can't hate the Kings. I'll be bummed for the Sabers, but I'll be happy the Kings got another cup." So I, it's, kind of, I, it's kind of win-win for me if that happens. I, I guess I could fact check this. I, w I was checking out your Wikipedia just as I do with all my guests, and it says that you were in the building the last time that the Kings won the Stanley Cup. Is that correct? I was. I was there for game five uh, against the, the um, New York uh, Rangers, and it was, uh, it was amazing. It was, I'm one of the most iconic game-winning goals in Stanley Cup final history of, of late. You know, Martinez scores and throws his gloves in the air, jazz hands it up, and the place goes nuts. Uh, yeah, I, w I was there, and those tickets were um, seven fifty a piece, and my boss at the time bought me two of them for my birthday present. Oh my god! That's so fifteen hundred dollars. I called my co-host of the Dangerous Aaron Show, TS. It was a Saturday, and I called him up, and I go, "What?" Do you, it was like noon or one o'clock. I was at the pool at a hotel, and I said, "What are you doing tonight?" And he goes, I don't know, nothing. I go, do you want to watch the Kings win the Stanley Cup? 
And he goes, yeah, how much? And I go, free. <laughs> I ditched my girlfriend at the pool. And she's like, why would you take? She goes, you're taking TS. You're not taking me. I'm like, you really honestly care in your heart of hearts? She looks up at me and she goes, have fun. <laughs> well, she knew that I, you know, she would, she'd be looking around and be on her phone the whole time. So what is that experience like? Because I, I don't think I've talked to any of our guests that have actually been there to witness that. Is it it's, as special uh, as it, it as I would imagine? It's surreal. It's it, it's surreal to to be in a in a building. It was overtime too, double overtime. So I'd like bite my nails for for a long time. Every time the puck came into the king zone, I was sweating it. And Quick made some. If you watch the game, I've watched it a number of times. But if you, he made some glorious stops on some great opportunities for the Rangers to win that game. And every time the puck came down the ice, it was like it was just unbelievable tension. And I thought to myself, if the Kings score, I'm going to watch a team I care about a great deal and love win the Stanley Cup. I'm going to witness the Stanley Cup being awarded to a team. That's just a, a bucket list thing. And then when they scored, I cried. Yeah, I, I, got, I got weepy. I, I teared up. And, and T.S., my co-host of the Dangerous Aaron show, looked at me and he goes, are you, are you crying? I go, yeah, a little bit. He's like, he's like I'm crying too. And he's, he's, he got all, he got a little uh, weepy and yeah, it was um, something I'll never forget, ever, as long as I live. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm too young to have experienced the Islanders win the, the four cups back-to-back. And, you know, my, my whole life, when the Islanders have been kind of the, the laughing stock of the league, that that's kind of what the, the franchise shoved down your throats. And it, it yeah. was always just, you know, always living in the past. So you know, hopefully one day in my lifetime, I get to experience one myself, but I'm, I'm well, a little jealous of you. <laughs> you know, you got this uh, great team that they, I mean, you traded Travares and people were losing their minds when he got traded to uh, Toronto. And everyone's like, oh, that's it for the Toronto, uh, the uh, Islanders are going to have to go ahead and do a rebuild. But then he's winning games and making the playoff. And it just goes to show you, it, it, no team is one person. It's everyone. It's every guy on that team, the coaching staff, the doctors, the trainers, the fans. I mean, it's got to be multiple level love coming from all levels, not just in hockey, but in any sport. You, you, it can't be one guy. Oh, we lost. You know, we, we lost Gretzky. We'll never win a cup. Well, they did in 1990, the Oilers. So it, <laughs> uh, I'm happy for the Islanders. I have no ill will towards them. They never. They never did anything to the, to the Sabres. So uh, the Islanders are a team that I, I uh, respect. They got, got those four cups in a row. They almost did five, but they ran into the the, the, the Oilers and, and, and for that try for five, which would have been amazing. But four cups in a row, that's, not, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's something that's going to stand the test of time in, in the annals of hockey. Yeah, and it's cool. This year, I actually had the experience of meeting Ken Morrow, who was on all four teams and also – was on the Miracle on Miracle. Ice team. Yeah. Yeah, Miracle on Ice, yeah. And what an awesome dude. What an awesome guy. His uh his son works for the Charlotte Checkers, which is the, you know, the local AHL team, and he brought all four Stanley Cups, brought his Olympic gold medal and getting to hold, you know, pieces of hockey history was just unbelievable. It's incredible. I've met um through working with Kings and, and knowing the brass there and knowing Luke Robitaille. I've gone 
I, I, plus, I covered the Kings a couple years ago for um, iHeartMedia for a whole year. I had a press pass, which was a dream come true, being able to walk into the dressing room and having Drew Dowdy look at me and going, hey, hey, Darren. <laughs> like, we became fans because I was wearing a Kings hat and the, the, the brass, the Kings brass were like, hey, you shouldn't be wearing a Kings hat. I'm like, why not? They're like, it makes you look like a homer. And I go, well, I am a homer. They're like, yeah, but maybe change it up. I go, okay, fine. So they put on a Blue Jays cap. And for, I was on the side of the glass for warm-ups. And Drowdy would stop on the corner and just like, then he'd look over at me and be like, give me a nod. And I'm like, hey. So I see him in a dressing room. And he finally came up to me every day. He goes, are you from Toronto? And I said, oh, I lived there for a long time. And, and you know, was in music and radio. He's like, oh, cool. He's like, I go, How do, you get, do you get to any games? He's like, uh, not really. I'm like. I go, in the offseason, you don't go back to Toronto, or, or I think he's from London, Ontario. You don't go back to London and go to the game? He's like, ah, maybe one. I'm like, I go, you could go to as many as you want. He goes, no, I, I could. So it's just kind of surreal, like, being around these guys and having them remember your name. Uh, but in the course of going in the hallway in the dressing room, you see these old hockey players, not necessarily Kings guys. Sometimes they were Detroit or, or Islander guys or or, or uh, Gretzky's buddies would be, you know, and you'd see the ring and you'd walk up, work up the nerve to walk up to one of these old red wing cats that are like 80 <laughs> and be like, oh, hi, Mr. Whatever. I can't remember the guy's name, but some, some, some guy, fourth line guy in the, when they won a cup. Forever. Like, Is that an original 1952 red wing? He's like, yeah, yeah. You want to wear it? He'd take it off, hand it to me. <laughs> now, I got this Stanley Cup ring. About, I got I got this Stanley Cup ring in my hand. I'm like, oh shit. And he goes talking to one of his buddies. I could turn, I thought to myself, I could turn around and just walk away. Yeah. I'm looking at the guy. He's not looking at me. I'm like, oh, so I put it on my finger. I take a picture of it. I'm like, this is great. My buddy's like, what do you think it is? Like, then he finally, the guy goes, oh, yeah, I got to get my ring back. I'll be right back. He turns to me and goes, hey, buddy, got my ring? And I'm like, oh, yep, sure, here you go. It's just, it's amazing the kind of people you run into in hockey circles. Yeah, they're they're great. You know, for the most part, they're they're just great human beings and so down to earth. And you know, Ken Morrow was probably making you know ten to twenty grand a season, if that back then. And the the fact that he just won a gold medal for Team USA and then going on to win all those cups, they just didn't really make the the type of coin that the current nhl players are making and they're just really humble and awesome you know when people recognize them and appreciate them yeah there's uh but you have to keep in mind you could buy like a really nice mansion <laughs> for like 100 grand that is or true. even 50 grand like a really big big house with a pool in beverly hills for like 100 grand back in those days so if you got paid uh, you were you played a couple of years. Your house was paid for. Your cars were paid for. And then if you if you invested wisely, you were set for the future. But yeah, today guys are making you know four, five, six, seven, eight million a, a season. It's 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 ridiculous. And I know must some of these guys must look at the NHL now and think, man, if I was playing in the nineties and the two thousands, I'd be laughing. But back then, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year was was a lot of money. Yeah, it's all relevant, I guess. That's true. Yeah. Cool. But it's so, exponentially gotten worse or better, depending on how you look at it, from the 80s to the 90s and the 2000s. It's, these guys are living way past the, uh, their means, you know. 
But I don't, I mean, is a guy like Ovechkin worth eight million a year? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, um, I guess I I want to talk a little bit about the the crossover. So, um, you know, I I saw that you had, and like a kind of a a love song to Wayne Gretzky, and you would perform to an acoustic song to Wayne Gretzky. So, you know that that's the crossover right there when with your time in Goldfinger. Can you tell us how that came to be and and what your motivation was for doing that? I've like I said, I've always loved Wayne Gretzky and watching him play. And early on, when the Sabers weren't in the playoffs in the '80s, um, hockey market in Buffalo was strong, so they would show Oilers games a lot, uh, and they'd just go through teams and oh, and this time the Oilers are playing the Hartford Whalers, or they're playing the Calgary Flames, or the Vancouver Canucks. And they just destroy teams on their way to the, to the cup finals. So as a young kid or a, 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 a kid coming up, you see this guy and you're like, oh, my God, he is something else. So when I was writing my first solo record, um, The Revenge of Chicken McNuggets, which is a collection of the most dumbest, stupidest, out-of-tune punk rock songs you'll ever hear in your life, I had an acoustic guitar on my couch and I'm playing it. And I had a cardboard cutout of Wayne Gretzky in my living room. Now, I was, I was playing. I wasn't a very good guitar player back then. I'm still not, but I'm better. Uh, uh, the only re- the only chords I really knew, like full chords on acoustic, were like D and C, because they were right next to each other. So you could basically just go to up and down. And then uh, I was learning uh, A, the A chord. Um, not A, I'm sorry, uh, D. So th- th- that's pretty much the whole song. Uh, and I was singing, and I started to like Wayne Gretzky, the only man I'd have sex with. And it just it just kind of fell out of me. The whole song fell out of me, and I wrote it down. And the next day, I tr- I recorded it, and it it made my solo record. But then it made a Goldfinger record. It made I think it was on Stomping Grounds uh, when Jay Rifkin, our, our label head, and John and the rest of the guys heard it. They thought it was hilarious. They didn't think I wrote it. They're like, "Who wrote this song?" And I go, "I did." They're like, "It's really good. Who wrote it?" I'm like, "I did." They're like, <laughs> "We've heard your songs. They're terrible." Like, "Who wrote it?" I go, "I did." <laughs> If you swing at enough pitches, you're going to hit one. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's how it came about. And Wayne has heard it. Um, we've been around each other since he's heard it, and we 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 always get a laugh. I, I say don't. I see him in the hallway at the Kings games every now and again, Staples Center, and and uh, a lot of time will go by, and he'll remember me. I'm like, hey, Wayne, it's Darren Pfeiffer, and he won't remember the name, but then I'll say, dangerous Darren Pfeiffer, and he goes, oh, uh, song, the guy, song. <laughs> And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the guy with the song. He's like, so, I, and I'll show him my ring. I'm like, still happily married. <laughs> Don't really want to have sex with you. That's amazing. You know? But if I had to, <laughs> oh, that's so <laughs> I had a gun great. to my head. He, he's a, a good-looking dude. Even in his old age, he, he's holding up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I would agree with that. Why not? <laughs> now, have you had any other hockey players recognize? You know you for being in Goldfinger since, you know, I, I think about myself, you know, I, I discovered Goldfinger by playing Tony Hawk pro, pro skater Two, just like probably most people my age. And, you know, as you were working in the Kings and being involved in hockey and the media, Actually, that was pro skater one. First one. Oh, the first one. Yeah. So, you know, did, did any, uh, players other than, you know, Gretzky recognize you for being in Goldfinger? Yeah, um, we used to play Chicago all the time. It was a really great market for us. We um, 
played an outdoor festival on a stage, like a warp Tour style stage. And I looked over and my um, A&R rep from Mojo was mouthing something to me and I couldn't understand. And there was a break in the song and I looked over and I was like, what, what, what? He goes, and he mouthed the word Tony Amante. Tony Amante. So I know who Tony Amante was. And I looked over and I was like, there's Tony Amante giving me the thumbs up, like, like right behind my kid, like just over my shoulder. He's like, give me a thumbs up. I'm like, holy shit, that's Tony Amante right behind me. After the show, he walks up to me. He's like, dude, I'm a big fan. I think you guys are great. And I, I know you're in, really into hockey. And he goes, what are you doing tomorrow? And I go, well, we got to play a show at the House of Blues. He goes, you want to come? He's like, yeah, I'll totally come. I'll, can I bring some of the team? <laughs> I'm like, you can bring his, I'll put you on the guest list plus 400. Um, and he goes, oh, do you want to come skate with us? And I had my skates on on, um, on the road. I brought my skates. Oh, that's awesome. And he goes, uh, yeah. Um, he goes, yeah, bring your skate. And c- come hang out. And, um, and you'll uh, skate with me and the team. So I bring my skate. I get on the ice, and I'm doing drills with, like, Bob Prober. Tony Hawk, or Tony Amante and, and all these other guys and shooting shooting pucks on on Jose Theodore and, oh and Jocelyn Tebow and all, all these other great guys. And I got into a mock fight with Bob Probert. Oh my then god. Then he gave me the jersey off his back in the dressing room. Wow. I'm taking my skates off at the bench and he goes, Oh, take your skates off in the dressing room with the rest of the guys. So I get in the dressing room and all these guys are there and I'm like, holy I think Ronick was on the team at the time. And they're all joshing me and having fun. And, and Prober takes his jersey off and throws it at me. He's like, it's yours. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, I don't want it. I, I, I need a new one anyway. And it was in mint condition. He signed it. I still have it. That's special. That's really special. meaning to frame it. But yeah, I mean, Tony Monte recognized me. But that's all, I can, that's all I can think about right now. Once I tell guys in what band I'm in, depending on their age, of course, um, none, none of the Kings knew goldfinger that much none of them were into music and the music they were into was like beyonce and yeah yeah terrible <laughs> like Nips, nipsey hustle and all these other terrible hip-hop shit but um yeah it's, it's it was it was a, it was a fun ride to, 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 i still talk to tony and his brother quite a bit so i'm staying in touch with them that's awesome that that's the crossover right there that's beautiful i love it yeah now, i actually recently went to my first ska show uh this past winter i got to see um mike big mike and also uh real big fish but they also had kind of young bucks on the tour with them this band keep flying who's doing like kind of like do you, a, mean, do you mean big big d in the kids table yes yes big d in the kids table sorry yeah, and then yeah. real big fish and then keep flying and keep flying's kind of doing ska and also like mixing in pop punk so it was it was cool to see and it was sold out and nice to see scott still alive and kicking yeah it's, it's trying to make a comeback it's trying really hard with the scott documentary that just came out um and uh, bands like real big fish and less than jake that are still doing it and out there touring you know when when you can tour they're, they're touring 10 months nine months out of the year and trying trying to keep it alive it's it's an infectious style of music that when you hear it it's hard not to move even a little bit. I mean, if you don't want to skank or you don't want to dance, you don't want to move around too, too much. That's fine. But it's hard not to tap your foot 
and and get into the rhythm that is sky. It's, it's next to impossible. Yeah, for sure. It was it was tons of fun. It, it just seemed like everyone was there to party, and there was there was no yeah. kind of uh, like cool kids in the back, you know, trying to look like they were too cool to be at the show. It just everyone was there having a good time, and it was cool to see. Awesome. Yeah. Totally. Now, um, I guess I, I would like to talk about your transition to playing with Sum Forty One. So it was kind of like going from one iconic band and then like kind of like passing the torch and going playing with like the next up and coming uh you know scene band at the time so what was that like they were already established i was more of a filling guy i only did a handful of shows i wasn't in the band for more than six months uh so it was just more come in do some shows and they were some 41 they weren't up and coming at that point they, they had made their mark and uh, i've known those guys were for a long, long time, dear, dear friends of mine. And the music was second nature. I have always loved the band. Uh, I did some fill-in work with Billy Town, another Canadian band, and those guys were my friends and just just filling in and they needed a guy and they liked me and we all got along. And and that's half the battle with being in, being in a band is know your instrument, know how to play the parts, but don't be a dick. Just be a fun guy to hang out with. Now, you know, since they're a Canadian band, did... did... Were they hockey fans as well, and and that made the the transition a little easier for you? Uh, there was only um, one guy in Billy Talent that was a hockey fan, and one guy in Sum Forty One. You'd be surprised. A lot of people think that every Canadian boy loves hockey and worships hockey, but that's not the case. Derek Wibley, um, like, knows about hockey, and like when the Leafs are doing great, he's like, "Oh, good, good for the city." But he couldn't he couldn't name one player. Whereas Cohen, the bass player, is, is really into it and, and, and is really into like the, the team and the playoffs and the, the, the success. But not every Canadian man or woman is, worships the game of hockey like most people think. It's, it's, it is a religion up there, but it, it's not as deeply entrenched into the psyche of all Canadians as people think. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, at least the bands that we've talked to um it seems like there's always like one or two in in every band that seems to to be you know a hockey fan above all the other sports so you know just just curious about that and then um the kings and also the sabers have had some terrible terrible jerseys as you know some would like to say the islanders with the fisherman logo is there a favorite of some of those bad jerseys for either team? The outdoor game the Kings played with the Sharks at the Navy uh, Stadium or whatever it was, um, I didn't like those. But I liked, as, as far as their bad jerseys go, that's better than the, the King on the, on, on the top, the really bad Burger King King. Oh, yeah. Was, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, it's horrible. Um, for a long time, they had the the, king, the the crown at the top in the center, and even the one they have now is just kind of it, it's okay, but it's kind of boring. It's it's a little boring. Uh, the Sabers went back to the original circle logo with the buffalo and the swords, but, but th- they've they've had a couple of doozies like the goat, the evil goat head era of Riga's era of uh, Sabers was brutal. But then when you think they couldn't get any worse than that, they went to the slug. The golden slug or the comb over, the Trump comb over, as some people call it. That was just atrocious. 
I didn't own one of those. I got one for Christmas and I, I, uh, I, I declined it. Yeah. I, I had to give, I was like, I'm like, thank you. And I'm like, I regifted it or something. I couldn't, I couldn't hang with it. Um, the Anders ones with the Gordon's Fisherman was bad, but it wasn't as bad as, as people think. Yeah. It, I, it was, it was, it was, it's pretty bad, but it was it's still like an angry fisherman. If I saw an angry, a really angry fisherman, I'd, I'd be scared. See the whole, like, there's actually a legit book about that era of the Islanders when they, and considering they only wore the Jersey for a season, it's crazy to think that this gentleman was able to write a whole book about it. But the the whole like reason why the Islanders even decided to like rebrand is because the Rangers won the Stanley cup in 94. And they thought that yeah. they were going to lose all their fan base because the Rangers won, which is just so ridiculous to think about but also the success of the mighty ducks movies is also what led them to want to rebrand and they tried to like ride the wave of the the whole mighty ducks franchise so i mean i mean i'm an old school hockey fan like you are and i i'm a traditionalist a little bit i mean stick stick with one jersey and go with it but i understand why they change it up i understand why that for St. Patrick's Day, everyone wears a little bit of green on their jersey, or the whole thing is just fucking green. Um, and there's theme nights now in the NHL where teams will have themes, and the jerseys reflect that theme. If, if they're retiring a guy uh, or honoring a guy that night, they'll all wear that guy's number. Like if Rob Blake from the Kings gets honored, they're all wearing four, like as an example. And then, they'll, then they sign it and auction it off. I get it. They're trying to make money for charity, or they're trying to switch up jerseys to to get diehards like you and I to go, I must have that jersey with a different color change. And <laughs> the Kings on their 50th anniversary had a gold trim. And I I broke down and bought one because I thought it looked good. And it's the 50th anniversary. But when the Sabres did it, I didn't do it. I actually like uh, the Sabres one. The Sabres one was pretty classy. Shy. Now, um, I guess one final question. I, I know that you are are uh, got prior arrangements. so. Um, with the announcement that Tony Hawk Pro Skaters like redoing their, you know, iconic games from their series, have yeah. you heard word that that they're going to try to keep the soundtrack the same as those they original are. ones? They're, they're they're keeping the exact same soundtrack, but they're remastering the songs, so they're going to basically give it a coat of paint, so to speak. But yeah, the songs are going back, so I'm I'm happy about it. I mean, I. Remember really quick, a really quick story. When we got that contract, that license, it was it was in a band meeting at our at our label, and we talked about a number of things. Uh, we're all we're going to be on um, American Pie. We're going to be on this. We're going to be on this thing called Kingpin. We're going to be on uh, this Tony Hawk skateboarding video game. And I was like, wait, what? They're like, oh yeah, Tony Hawk's doing a video game called Pro Skater, and he wants Superman. He's really into the song, and he's big fan of the band and we're and they're going to give us a, an, an amount of money undisclosed i'm not going to say what it is on the air <laughs> no, they're going to give us a, a little bit of, a little bit of money i said oh, i jumped on a table and i was like we're taking half of that money and we're going to go back to tony's people we're going to go back to tony and activision and we're going to say give us an override give us one percent half a percent and they're like no darren that's a good amount of money let's take it i go we're selling records hand over fist Shows are sold out. We're getting tons of licenses. This is one of many. We don't need that money to survive. 
Do you want it all because you can commission it? I get it. But like from a, from a, I'm thinking long game. Let's go back to them. And, and I, I, I threatened to quit the band early on. I'll, I'll quit. I'll just walk away. I pounded my fist and they're like, all right, relax. We'll ask. That's all we can do is ask. They asked. Tony said yes. They gave us um, a percentage. Small, but a percentage. I had Tony Hawk on my podcast, The Dangerous Airing Show, a while back. And we went down there and skateboarded with him. It was a huge thrill. I told him this story and I said, do you remember? And he goes, not only do I remember, Darren, you were the only band, Goldfinger were the only band that gave us any kind of kick, like kickback. Every other band, Circle Jerks or Bad Religion or whatever, whoever else brought it, Primus, everyone was like, yeah, sure, whatever, that, that, that money's fine, we accept. But Goldfinger said, no, can we get an override and cut the money in half? And because I was such a gigantic fan of that, uh, fan of that song and your band, I agreed. And we got it in perpetuity, which means forever. So I still get checks in the mail from the sale of that game. Oh my! Now gosh. that they're rebooting it, I'm expecting some bigger che- some those checks to have a couple other uh, figures <laughs> on it. That's unbelievable. <laughs> so we'll see what we'll see what happens. But yeah, me and Tony, every time I see him, we have a laugh about it. Yeah, and and like like you said, you were on the first one, so you just knew right off the bat that the the game was going to be such a hit. Well, I was a skateboarder. I was big time. In it. When I moved to LA, I was skating every day. I was skating in Buffalo. I was on a team. I was I was sponsored. I was really really good. Um, so at that time, there was no real skateboarding video game. There was there was that one game called Seven Twenty, which was re- just horrible um, and so cartoony. But a real game with real functionality with real skaters like Bucky Lasik and Caballero and Hawk and and these guys. I knew it was going to be groundbreaking. I knew it was going to be realistic, even though there were some stupid combinations that were really just unrealistic. But you could really skate realistically. Just go roll down the street, ollie over a garbage can, and then hit a rail, and then, you know, kickflip over a sidewalk. Or There, there was realisticness about the game. You could go through the, the process, or you could just skate, free skate, just for fun. And the music in the background was killer. So, um, when the game came out and I got a hold of, uh, of one for free, the game, they gave us one for free. Um, I couldn't stop playing it. I was playing that game so hard that I had to be dragged off of the game and dragged on stage at, when it came out. We were touring, and I'd be like the whole time. A tour manager would go, Darren, half an hour. I'm like, yeah, cool. Hey, Darren, you're on stage in 10 minutes. You should get changed. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I play, and he's like, Darren, you're on stage right now. Do you hear it? The bus would be parked right next to the venue, and I, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. So I <laughs> press pause, put the controller down, walk on stage, sometimes just in my T-shirt. Like, I didn't dress. Sometimes I'd wear a hockey jersey. A lot of times I wore a hockey jersey. I'd get on stage, I'd play, thinking, thinking about, like, where I pause the game, like, what I got to think about, what's next, what trick is next, <laughs> what combo is next. And then, thank you very much, good night, and walk off stage sweating and go back to the game. Wow. They was like, right oh, then. where's Darren? Well, where, the, the, the big joke at that time was, where's Darren? Where do you think? <laughs> I got pretty. I, and once I saw the game, I was bummed. I was like, oh, that's it. The game's over. Oh, fuck. Then two came out, and then three. And then he had us on Tony Hawk 4. I think the song was Spokesman. He had us on uh, um, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 4. So, yeah, it was, it was a fun thrill, and I'm excited that it's back. People are thrilled, and it's all remastered. It's going to be a lot of fun when, when I finally get my hands on it. Yeah, it. It sounds great. And, uh, you know, I, I can't, you know, I'm not a big 
gamer myself. I, you know, obviously was when I was, you know, younger and in high school and middle school and such, but I can't think of another game that is, you know, rebooting like that, where they're actually just going back to their, you know, like the original game. Yeah, and the just, roots. Yeah, the roots and just, you know, obviously improving the graphics and those kind of things. And I think that's a really cool idea. Well, listen, I, this was a lot of fun. I got to run. I'm a couple minutes late uh, for this call. No, so no. Jump no. on. No, I appreciate, I appreciate it, Darren. You're thinking of me and having me on and talking hockey. I'm glad it's coming back. Hopefully, we'll get an announcement from Batman and the NHL soon as far as dates, like hardcore dates that we can circle on the calendar and count, count the days, no, no pun intended, to, to get to hockey again. And then maybe baseball and NBA will be right behind it. And then, and then we can get back to some normalcy because this is the longest I've gone since I was five years old um, with not watching sports in some shape, way, or form every day of my life <laughs> yeah like real sports live sports you can watch recorded games all day long but you know the outcome um but this is the longest i've gone without being without sports and it, it sucks it sure does so thanks again darren and uh really appreciate you coming on um make sure you go and check out the dangerous darren show and uh we'll, we'll talk to you soon hopefully we can catch you when the sabers and the kings are turning their their, their <laughs> things around and we could talk some relevant hockey about your two teams, but I really appreciate it, Darren. Let's talk again when it's Sabres Islanders in a, in a, in a playoff round. Oh, man, that'd be great. Would that be great? Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, thanks, Bye, Darren. Brother. Thank you very much, my friend. Absolutely. Stay in touch. Wayne Gretzky The only man I'd have sex with Wayne Gretzky I'd be intimate with Wayne Gretzky I think he's kinda sexy Wayne Gretzky I wonder what he looks like naked I wonder what it would be like To have sex with the great one I wonder what it would be like to have sex with the league's leading scorer, Wayne Gretzky. I know he's a married man, but maybe he'd be attracted to me, Darren Pfeiffer. Stupid American boy, Wayne Gretzky. Very handsome Canadian man. Like to have sex with the great one. Oh, wonder what it would be like to have sex with the least leading score, Wayne Gretzky. I love you, Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. Tommy V. How was that? Dude, I gotta say, um, you know, you, you, you held it down in my you know, in my unfortunate absence in that interview. Uh, but listening back to it, um, you know, obviously not as good as if I was there, but I will certainly say that it's passable. Uh, but uh, man, you know, listening to that interview, you know, it was so cool. Um, you know, ima like imagine that, you know, like writing a song for, for Gretzky and, you know, getting that on an album, you know, like, so let's just like pontificate a little bit. Like, you know, like if you had to write a song for Barzy, 
Like, how would it go? What would like what would you put in your song? Dude, I, I feel like Barzy Gretzky. I feel like you could just plug his name in and it would work in the song. <laughs> it could be the yeah, same I mean, exact song. Dude, I mean, you know, if I if I had to like you know, if, if I like ever get like a like a real nice home studio and like I just want to start writing songs about hockey, like I mean like who who would you pick on like even even let's let's let in the current landscape of, of the NHL and hockey, right? Like what, who do you think would be like the most entertaining hockey player to write a song about right now? I, I always go back to this, I, and I just think he's got the greatest personality, and it's Alex Ovechkin. I, I feel like if you wrote a song for Ovechkin, he would like listen to it every single day. I could just <laughs> see him like rocking out to his own song. Yeah, yeah, man. I I think I, I agree with that. I would probably. You know, who else would I write a song for? I mean, I'd be down to, like, write a song for, like, like Nugent Hopkins, just because he, like, shares, like, a name with, like, Ted Nugent. And, like, I'd probably write, like, some sweet, like, 80s hair metal song for him. Um, could write, like, a really, like, sad ballad song for, like, Robin Leonard. You know? <laughs> about how he like overcame his demons but i feel like if like you know like i feel like the goofier like more ridiculous hockey players are like the ones that you'd make the best song about but like i could probably honestly i can write even better about like maybe like a phil kessel and hot dog song yeah yeah there you go right or even like just write a whole song about like the coyotes and like how they like don't really belong in the nhl but they're in the nhl it doesn't make sense i don't know man i gotta write jot these ideas down because you know this could be like the next great rock opera just about hockey. I'm like I'm I'm sitting here thinking about it right now and I think it could be a good thing. It might be how I make my millions. Well, you you were my friend that was in a, a wrestling theme song cover band. So if you could do that, <laughs> I feel like you could do this. Absolutely, man. And uh you know, just to talk a little bit about this too because obviously Goldfinger is one of those bands that um kind of has transcended the genre. So I mean like, you know, they've got Maybe they, when they started, they were probably a ska band, but then they transitioned into more of a punk band, and then even like an alternative rock band. And as they've grown as a band, I mean, you know, uh, John Feldman, who's also you know a prolific you know producer at this at this juncture, you know, he works. I mean, I, I think right now he's working on new music for for Blink One Eighty Two, but you know, so a very diverse catalog. But to pull it back to like ska itself, and like we very rarely talked about ska on this podcast because it's really not. I know something that you're super familiar with, but like even in like preparation for this interview, like, did you find yourself like, well, let me like listen to some ska music. Like, did you even dip your toe into that? I did. And I always keep messing this up. So I, I was talking with Darren about when I went to the, the real big fish show and they played with big D, but I, oh yeah, I, that's right. Yep. Yeah. I, I always think it's big Mike for some reason, like big, big Mike and the mic table. <laughs> Yeah, just totally messed it up. So he, he he called me out on that. But, you know, I think I'm going to stick with my same opinion of ska music. Like, it needs to be listened to outside when you're, like, wearing a Hawaiian shirt and just, like, grooving out by the pool. I don't know. It's, it gives me that, like, <laughs> good time, happy vibe. I, I, I definitely wouldn't sure. be able to listen to it, like, 24-7. But... Sure. You know, throwing it on when you're 
chilling, you know, outside grilling by the pool definitely puts you in some kind of place. Well, I guess in one of the things you, like you got to say about ska music is like, so obviously the roots, like the, the roots of ska are, are kind of in, are in reggae, you know? And um, some of the things like when I think of like bands, like, like the specials, let's just say, you know, that were kind of playing ska, you know, originally they, it was more, you know, like reggae based ska. So it was a little bit, wasn't as fast. It was slower. It was kind of more, you know, kind of like of a more kind of relaxed and chill vibe. But then of course, you know, you get your bands like real big fish and mighty, mighty boss tones and less than Jake and all that kind of stuff. Even operation Ivy who were, uh, you know, a really, really important band in that kind of ska punk crossover. But I mean, I feel like you can't really talk about ska without talking about like those first couple of no doubt records, because they, along with the mighty, mighty boss tones kind of like brought ska into the mainstream. So, I mean, like, you know, when you think about that, you know, tragic kingdom, you know, that, that no doubt record that, you know, and even the one before, you know, the, that had spider webs on it and like all that kind of stuff like that kind of brought ska to the forefront. And, you know, even I think Gwen Stefani's sort of lame, um, you know, I, you got to credit no doubt for, for, you know, kind of putting their feet forward and, and getting the music out there. Dude, I'll never forget. Uh, and I think that album came out when we were in fourth grade and Amanda Rodriguez brought it into, into class. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I remember this, but I remember like at recess or whatever, her passing around like the Walkman so we could all listen. And it was like, just, you know, spider webs was, such a catchy like introduction into that kind of music and yeah, yeah obviously that's why no doubt is so huge is because they they made it commercial but yep you know yeah yeah gwen Stefani's definitely lame these days but she is like yeah. 50 that's true and i mean you know like tragic kingdom it just has that like iconic cover you know with like the the rotting oranges on it and uh you know, I mean, we're talking 1995. I mean, it was like, you know, right in the boom of, you know, 90s alternative music. And here they were, you know, with all of this, like, you know, in the in the in the scene of alternative music with, you know, like the Smashing Pumpkins and the Counting Crows and, you know, Stone Temple Pilots and like all this stuff that's a little bit different. You know, here comes no doubt being a ska band, uh, you know, but it like, you know, it, it's super cool and it paved the way, you know, for a bit more commercial. But you know, when you look at a band like Goldfinger, and again, you know, I, I say it again, their their catalog is just so different, you know, from how they started with, you know, a record like Hang Ups and, and you know, how they moved into the, the punk territory and the like the rock and roll territory. Um, you know, they've they've just put out such great music and it's so cool, you know, to get that, um, you know, to, to just get to talk to someone who has been around and been so influential so you know i i'm super cool really cool now do you think ska will be around in 10 years um i do i do because i think that you know is it going to be a, a super popular genre of music maybe not but um you know like there are still like bands that are you know playing ska music but they're kind of putting their own spin on it it's a little bit more punky it's a little bit more pop punk like i think of bands like um, you know, Catch-22, Streetlight Manifesto, We Are the Union, uh, you know, to a degree, even like a band like, you know, like Keep Flying that sort of puts a little bit of that ska spin into it. Like, do I think that there are going to be straight up, you know, 
first wave ska bands that are more reggae influenced that'll be around? Of course there will. Uh, will there be more of, you know, the, the punk rocky ska bands? Yeah, absolutely. Are they going to be a huge, you know, kind of in your face selling tons of records sort of thing? I don't know. Um, I can't say that it will be, especially when you look at 2020 and how music is trending and what is popular versus what isn't. I think they'll still be around, but like, will people be clamoring for it? I don't think so. I, I think the the fact that there's no more Warp Tour definitely hurts it too, because Agreed. like Agreed. Warp Tour always brought out like the real big fishes and the less than Jakes, and they were always on the on main stage, and it was just like a very yeah. Warp Tour like thing to do is to go and check out those bands, even if you weren't necessarily a fan of them, just because sure. they always brought so much energy and you know, entertainment to their live performance, but mm. you know, no warp tour, you know, anymore definitely I think hurts the genre of ska music. Agreed. Because like I said, ska music needs to be listened to outside. So the fact that there's no more outdoor <laughs> festival in a Hawaiian shirt. In a Hawaiian yeah. shirt. Exactly. But there yep. is Riot Fest. Um, Did you see uh the new uh lineup for the twenty twenty one Riot Fest? I did. And it's, it's pretty wild. It's, um, I'm, I'm just, uh, like I saw it and I know like a couple of bands, I'm just going to pull it up so I can talk about it a little bit more, um, in depth. But I remember, you know, seeing the smashing pump pixies on it, which I thought was super cool. But so I've got a little bit of the first wave pulled up. And I mean, you're talking my chemical romance, which is huge. I mean, you know, their comeback is, is big, but you got Coheed and Cambria taking back Sunday, run the jewels, which is like humongous, but Circa Survive, Simple Plan, you know, who we've, we've had on the show, Newfound Glory, um, you know, the All-American Rejects, like all of these bands. I mean, Riot Fest, I'm sure, is going to be huge, um, you know, and uh, um, I, I can't say that I'm going to be there. Uh, you know, I did Riot Fest once. I want to say it might have been 2013 or 2014. I don't remember. Uh, me and a bunch of friends rented a Sprinter and we drove from New York to Chicago to do it. Uh, it was a cool experience. but you know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm old and out of shape. And, you know, the thought of me standing in like a field, you know, with no coverage in the sun, you know, for 12 makes me like want to hurl. So I don't know, man. How would you compare it to like bamboozle? So, um, it's like, Similar, except uh, Riot Fest was a, on a bit broader of a stage. So Bamboozle uh, was really more like kind of the punk and like emo alternative scene, whereas Riot Fest does pop. I mean, it's it's predominantly alternative, but I mean, you, like I said, you've got you know Run the Jewels, you've got you know Pixies, who were you know a, a big alternative band in the you know the eighties and early nineties, and you know like looking at the the lineup i mean like it's a little bit more diverse but you know a lot of people are there it's a bigger space uh but i mean still kind of similar to, to what bamboozle was i mean it's just a big open area there are you know tents to eat and drink and you know just stages all over the place so it's kind of like the you know your your festival you think of right you know because obviously i think of a the festival you know that i love most obviously the fest up, up in gainesville it's a little bit different because instead of it being all outside, there's one big outdoor stage, but then the rest of the shows are happening in venues. 
um, and you have access to all these venues. So it's a little bit different. That's more my speed these days. But I mean, it's such a cool announcement. So many great bands. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, as long as we're able to do it, people are going to love it and people are definitely going to love it. Yeah. And so are they just taking the like 2020 year off? Cause don't they usually have it in September ish? Yeah, they usually do. And it looks like they, they postponed it for September of 2020 and they're just going to do it in 2021, which is the smart thing to do because, you know, putting all of your eggs into that basket for this upcoming September and God forbid we're not ready yet. Um, you know, you don't want to put yourself in that situation. So I think just to postpone it for a year. And the nice thing is you have an extra year to, you know, set up some cool surprises. And honestly, this is only the first wave of bands that they've announced. And I mean, you're talking almost 50 bands. And I mean, some huge, huge bands. I mean, like I said, My Chemical Romance, The Smashing Pumpkins, you know, Coheed, Taking Back Sunday, Sublime with Rome. Um, I mean, all of these huge bands. And who knows who the second and final wave are going to end up bringing. I mean, you could have even bigger bands, you know, end up playing. So I think that's thing about these 2020 postponements into 2021 especially in the music landscape for you know festivals and all this kind of stuff where now you have an extra year to like kind of put together all of these extra surprises and put extra care into what you're doing so you know i think it's a good thing all right so i guess we can wrap this one up we we uh definitely had a, a gem of an episode darren is a a blast to talk with and some of the stories that he got to share with us were just, uh, you know, unbelievable. And only someone that has like a, a 30 year music career could have stories like that. So really, really cool. And uh, just honored once again to talk with such a legend. So we'll leave it at that. Um, we will try to keep pushing out two episodes a week, you know, after we took our, our little bit, bit of a break, but we will, you know, keep pushing out the content for you we got some good interviews lined up so make sure you are subscribed and uh like us on all our social media platforms so that you don't miss any of the episodes that we're going to drop and uh what else you got for us tom that's all man uh you know obviously as as we always say make sure to reach out to us at you know bdbd podcast at bar down breakdown on Twitter and Instagram, uh, you know, go to our website, bardownbreakdown.com to check out all of our, you know, archived episodes and our new ones. Make sure to hit up our Spotify playlist, the down playlist to listen to all of the awesome artists that we've had on and, uh, you know, like subscribe, comment, follow us and, you know, keep up to date. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll pour one out for the Coliseum on our own, but, uh, you know, make sure you keep listening and, uh, you know, we'll keep cranking them out. Oh, one final thing uh it does look like the islanders are headed to vegas when when the playoffs do resume so that's going to be the hub city that the islanders are going to be playing their games at which is cool um i i think they're picking okay. picking a west coast team so that they could do like two or three games a, a day which makes sense okay awesome. um hopefully you know, even though there's just not going to be fans, you know, the fact that they're in Vegas, hopefully they do some of that, you know, in-game production still and just like televise it, which sure. would be cool. But it, it does look like Vegas is one of the hub cities and and we're still waiting for the other to be announced. And uh, just wanted to add that in there. <laughs> but uh, Tom, as Sweet. always, man, it's been a blast and peace be with you. And also with you, buddy. 